Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30, alhamdulillah. I want to remind you all inshallah ta'ala to first and foremost make sure that you keep up with the Quran 30 for 30 ebook, which serves as a companion guide to this and gives the structures and overviews uh, of each juz inshallah ta'ala as we get into our seerah focus. Also, the Du'a's book by Dr. Tahir Wyatt. And also a reminder to please, inshallah ta'ala, consider supporting Yaqeen Institute by hitting the donate button, bidnillahi ta'ala, amongst all the other noble causes that you're supporting in this month of generosity, bidnillahi ta'ala. May Allah Azza wa Jalla reward you all for tuning in, for participating. I hope you've been enjoying the programming uh, thus far that's been coming out from Yaqeen. And make Du'a for the whole team uh, you know, at, at Yaqeen that's been working very hard uh, to... Uh, to put all of this content out on a consistent basis. Uh, we have, alhamdulillah, with us none other than the, the most frequent guest of last Qur'an 30 for 30, Ustad uh, Tasneem Al-Qiq, who we will call Dr. Tasneem Bayeed, inshallah, because we want her to finish her. She, inshallah ta'ala, make dua for her. Uh, inshallah, she will be finishing. We we pray to Allah that she will be finishing her PhD in Ramadan. It's like the Yaqeen tradition. We want to graduate PhDs in Ramadan ta'ala. And so we're going to call her doc, Dr. Tasneem Bayeed, or Dr. Tasneem with an asterisk, inshallah. But we want to we want to get used to it in the night time. So by the last 10 webathon, inshallah, it'll be like Dr. Tasneem and Qiq with no asterisk at all. So welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Happy to be back to you guys. Alhamdulillah. Shaykh Abdullah Dur, how are you feeling? Good. Alhamdulillah. 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 Good to have you as always, Shaykh. How are things at Capel? Few minutes over praying tarawih, praying tarawih. <laughs> <laughs> Things are well, alhamdulillah. We're in a unique situation, alhamdulillah. Things are well. Alhamdulillah. So, uh, with that, inshallah ta'ala, let's get started. So, we are now on Juz 4 in Surah An Nisa, still continuing along the same historical structure. So, I hope, inshallah ta'ala, by now everyone is able to appreciate how profound it is the way that it's being laid out. Just one, year one, just two, year two, just three, year three. And now we're getting into really the end of year three, uh, but also going into year four after the Hijrah in Medina. And you see that this surah is talking about the aftermath of Uhud. Now, I want to frame this from a seerah perspective. When we look through the seerah, Uhud was a shock. Uhud was you know, unique in many ways and the potential that it could have had to demoralize the Muslim community, but alhamdulillah, it did not. And part of that was Allah offering uh, forgiveness to all of the people that fled from the battle of Uhud. Uh, you had a lot of people that passed away and a lot of senior companions that passed away. So every house in Medina was struck by a casualty in Uhud. And that means something, right? You know, we're seeing now what widespread death looks like across uh, a community. May Allah have mercy on all of our deceased ones. Allahumma ameen. Imagine Medina where every single person has a family member, either a husband or a father or a cousin or an uncle or a brother. Uh, someone was struck in their family. So every house in Medina was, was mourning the lost ones of Uhud. And that includes, of course, the Prophet وسلم, who lost his beloved uncle, Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who lost Mus'ab ibn Umair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So these are, these are senior companions, and this was a blow to the Muslim community. 
And of course, there's also dealing with you know the first act of treason from the hypocrites, open act of treason from the hypocrites, which was the 300 people that turned away before the Battle of Uhud even started. So the Prophet has to put the society back together with the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to make sure that Uhud becomes a lesson and Uhud does not become you know, some sort of permanent uh, detour for the Muslim community in Medina that hurts them and that cripples them in a way that they're not able to recover. So we look at Surah An-Nisa here and Surah An-Nisa focuses on uh, themes that are very close to war uh, and, and are very clear in a post-war context, particularly when you have a lot of casualties. So uh, I want to start off with, here by saying that uh, it's not always that the name of the surah is uh, overrepresented in the surah itself. So like the theme of the surah does not necessarily always tie to the name of the surah. And uh, that is the case, you know, for example, in Surah Al-Baqarah, the mention of Al-Baqarah, the incident of the cow, is a very small portion of the surah itself. Whereas Surah Ali Imran, there's a lot about Ali Imran, right? The family of Imran. Surah An-Nisa focuses quite a bit on the aftermath of Uhud and has many themes that are not related to women in particular. Uh, but the way that the scholars would, would look at the naming of the surahs, and that's why you'll find that some surahs have multiple names, is that they look at the words that are unique or the words that are most repeated within a surah, right? So it's a way of distinguishing that surah from the other surahs of the Qur'an. So the theme of Surah An-Nisa is really rebuilding a, a Madani society after, the, uh, after the, the, the war, after the battle of Uhud. And so immediately you have the first ayah uh, which calls us to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is really profound because taqwa is the basis of our individual progress to Allah. Taqwa is the basis of our marriages. Remember, the Prophet وسلم, uh, advised the community, the men in particular, at the end of his life وسلم, to fear Allah, to have taqwa with Allah in regards to uh, their spouses. Taqwa is the basis of a community as well, because when there is no taqwa, there is deception and corruption. So taqwa is the foundation. So subhanAllah, you find this here in Surah Nisa, that the very first ayah is, ittaqu rabbakum, uh, o, o, o people, uh, o mankind, fear your Lord who created you from a single soul and created from it its match and spread many men and women from the two and fear Allah in whose name uh, you ask each other for your rights and fear the violation of the rights of uh, the relations through the womb, surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ever watchful over you. So before we get into these very complex issues of marriage and divorce, of society, especially in the wake of you know a very sensitive defeat that took place in Uhud, before we get to any of that, remember the first command in the Quran is taqwa. And remember the goal of Ramadan is taqwa. And if a person does not have taqwa, they'll find a way to cheat. And they'll cheat in regards to their family lives. They'll cheat in regards to their societal uh, endeavors. They'll cheat in regards to everything. But at the end of the day, they'll only be deceiving themselves. And so taqwa, taqwa, taqwa. It starts with establishing taqwa across the community. And what's the first verse, subhanAllah, after the verse of taqwa that relates to a post-battle context? 
In a post-war context, you have a lot of people that are now orphans and that are the most vulnerable people in society, the orphans and the widows, right? And it starts with the orphan who was the most vulnerable person in the society of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, or I should say rather in the Jahadi society, in a society of ignorance, and then honored in the society of the Prophet Sallallahu So the first manifestation of taqwa that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala mentions is beware of consuming the property of al-yatama. Okay, so give them their due right. Do not cheat them in regards to their wealth. Do not take advantage of them. Do not switch that which is filthy for that which is good. Do not eat up their property or consume their property along with your own. That verily it is a major sin for you uh, to, to consume the uh, the wealth of the orphans to take advantage of the new orphans in the society of Medina. So subhanAllah, that's the first manifestation of taqwa is don't prey on those that have been most vulnerable, made most vulnerable in a post-Uhud context. And then you start to see the verses that come afterwards. So the verses of marriage, the verses of inheritance, the verses of taking care of the widows, um, the verses of uh, that, that restricted uh, uh, polygyny at the time to, to, to four spouses. Of course, in a context, uh, it was the sabab al-nuzul, it was the reason for revelation, was a situation now where you have plenty of widows in the wake of Uhud. And then, of course, you have the messages that are prevalent in these themes dealing with the, the unique uh, consequences or the unique circumstances regarding the people of the book, the unique circumstances regarding the hypocrites, what military operations will look like thus, thus forward, right, in the wake of Uhud, and how a society is meant to function at this point. And I want to end, inshallah ta'ala, my part of this, setting the scene with this. You know, everything about Surah An-Nisa, every single uh, context that's given here, taqwa is the basis. And then the most, the most obvious and minimum manifestation of taqwa is listen to Allah and the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Go back to the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And so Allah gives us all of these contexts, right? Contexts of breakdowns in marriage, breakdowns in society, breakdowns in all sorts of situations. <clears throat> and the time where you really see a person's taqwa show is their ability or refusal to go back to the way of the Messenger وسلم, when a breakdown takes place. That's when you see taqwa really show, right? So you'll see the most religious of people, but then when divorce comes around, subhanAllah, like they don't want to hear anything about the Prophet or the Sunnah, right? People just insist on their way. You see the most religious of people, right? But then when a breakdown happens in their business or they, they get into a dispute with someone, then suddenly all of those messages from the Messenger وسلم, go out the window. And so the greatest manifestation of taqwa is whether you're going to refer back to the Messenger وسلم, when things go wrong, and so Allah says, yeah, SubhanAllah, this is such a powerful verse. O believers, obey Allah and obey the Messenger وسلم, and those amongst you who have been put in authority and if you dispute amongst yourselves in regards to anything, go back to Allah and the Messenger وسلم, If you indeed believe in Allah in the last day, like you claim to really believe in Allah in the last day, then you're not going to try to milk your dispute to where you get the most favorable outcome. 
you're going to try to do what is most in accordance with Allah and the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and that which will not cause you fear and apprehension on the last day. So if you truly believe in Allah on the last day, go back to the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, ذَٰلِكَ خَيْرٌ وَأَحْسَنُ تَأْوِيلًا That is better and the most commendable, the, the best way of going about uh, things. So I think that's just a very powerful way. And of course, I know Shaykh Abdullah is going to talk about disunity. Uh, Allah, as, as we said in, in the previous 30 for 30 with this juz, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala warned the previous nations of their disunity and the way that they turned their back and focused on in the previous ajza, uh, the previous chapters, the mistakes of past nations. But here, the Jews focuses on the mistakes of the Muslims and the biggest weakness is our disunity. Uh, so inshallah ta'ala with that, I'll turn over uh, Dr. Tasneem, if you have any reflections on the, on any of those particular points and then Sheikh Abdullah inshallah ta'ala, uh, you can take it from there. I just want to point out one thing, and I think the transition that you talked about from Surat Ali Imran to Nisa, the fact that it was supposed to war world. When you have, at first you have, like you mentioned, it's the introduction of uh, the rights of orphans, the yatama. And then immediately after, it's the ayah about um, allowing a restricted amount, but allowing polygamy. And if you think about the context, the context was literally to protect women. A lot of women were widowed. And at the time, husbands were financial caretakers. So if a woman often had two options, either one, remain widowed and have very little recourse or access to monetary assistance, or think of you know, that relationship differently where now she is has an opportunity to get remarried for that financial care. And so when you think of it in that context, you recognize some of the, the benefits that the, the law had allowed in terms of the flexibility in allowing for polygamy, especially in this context of a post-war world. Alhamdulillah, uh, mashallah. I, I like how you how you mentioned um, the importance of taqwa, and as we know, that is the ultimate goal of Ramadan, and that is Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mentions la'alakum tattaqun. Perhaps you may be of those that are mindful, and taqwa is one of those words. It's it's almost at the level of you know when we say Allahu Samad, as the scholars mentioned, the word the Samad of the name of Allah being a Samad very comprehensive on top of the fact of Arabic being a very eloquent and rich, rich language to translate it into English uh, in many cases does not do justice. You, It's not just one word to translate. It has to be interpreted to where it has to be understood by explaining the meaning of the word. And Taqwa falls into that category. You know, subhanAllah, uh, it, it's very important that, you know, we as human beings and as Muslims realize the importance of having mindfulness of our creator and our maker in all aspects of our life. And that's a segue to what we want to talk about here. In the chapter of Al-Imran, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions roughly from verse 101 to 103, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking a question to those that voluntarily disbelieved in the message after, has been, after it has been manifest to them, where he says, after a'udhu bin Allah shaitan al-rajim, وَكَيْفَ تَكْفُرُونَ وَأَنْتُمْ تُتْلَى عَلَيْكُمْ آيَاتُ اللَّهِ وَفِيكُمْ رَسُولُهُ and how can you be of those that disbelieve after the, the verses of Allah are present to you and amongst you is his messenger? Then Allah says, and whoever holds fast, whoever holds fast to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be guided to the straight path. Now just remember this word, to hold fast. Yatisam means to prohibit something or to can also be understood as to hold on to something firmly. And that's where we have the name Mu'tasim come from. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions after that a verse 
that many of us hear at the beginning of the Khutbah al Jum'ah, where he says that the Adun al-Sanjim, Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu, ittaqullaha haqqa tuqatihi, wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Oh, you who believe. Be mindful of Allah as you should, as he should be, you should be mindful of him. Or fear Allah as he should be feared. And do not die except in a state of being of those that submit to Allah alone, that submit as Muslims. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings the next verse. After this command of showing, as some scholars mentioned, this is one of the epitome, the, the verse that really speaks about taqwa very eloquently because he says, be mindful of Allah in a way that you should be mindful of him or in a way that you should fear him. So when we hear the word fear of Allah and mindful of Allah, it is as though when one is mindful, all of the other aspects of worship come to light. All of the other aspects of worship have more of an opportunity to be activated, if you will. When you are mindful of Allah, when you have dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this will remind you to do things that will shield you away from the actions that are not beloved to Allah. And that is exactly where the word taqwa comes from, wiqaya, which means to take a shield. So when you are watching 30 for 30, for instance, there could have been something else that you could have been doing on your laptop in each and every, or on your phone. And each and every one of us know that there are choices that we have to make. So when you do an action that Allah loves and that Allah is pleased with, that is an action of a muttaqi. That is an action of a mindful person. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says after that, a beautiful verse that is very important for all of us as human beings, as Muslims, as community members, as civilians, if you will. He says after that, after he, he orders the individual to have taqwa of Allah and to be mindful of him in a true way, he says, wow, he uses the same verb that he did earlier when he was talking about the ones that whoever holds firm to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his messenger, for verily they are guided to the right path. Then he instructs them and reminds them to have taqwa, to have mindfulness. Then after that, he gives a command verb. He's telling you, okay, this is how you can fear Allah in a way that he should be feared. This is how you can exemplify the epitome of mindfulness of Allah in a way that is befitting to you and to society as well. He says, And all of you hold firmly to the rope of Allah and do not separate. There's so much eloquence in this verse from the aspect of rhetoric or what they would say is rhetoric in being balagha in Arabic. It is basically how are you trying to relay a message to the listener in many different eloquent ways. And that's a whole other science in the Arabic language when studying the Arabic language. So here Allah says, and hold firmly to the rope of Allah, jami'an all of you together and don't separate. This is an important aspect because he's telling all of you to hold firm to the rope. And some scholars mention, why did he say rope? <laughs> because when you are holding onto a rope, you are trying to save yourself or to elevate somewhere. And that is very important because the one that there had to be someone that placed the rope there in order for you to save yourself or to be or to elevate. So Allah says, hold firmly to the rope of who? Mudaf Mudaf and the possessive form. The rope of who? The rope of your Lord, the rope of the creator, the rope of your maker. The rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the rope of Allah is that which will ultimately save you. And that's where the scholars mention that the habil, the rope of Allah, is the Quran, the Sunnah, the Quran, and the Sunnah. All of the meaning is the same. Jami'an, all of you together and do not separate. So this is another eloquence where Allah says, hold, of you, hold all of you firmly to the rope of Allah, all together. And do not separate. 
it's indirectly implied that when he says together, that means don't separate. But he confirms it by saying hold firmly together and don't separate. This shows the importance of being conscious of maintaining the brotherhood, the sisterhood in Islam and even in humanity. Because once that bond of brotherhood and sisterhood is broken, jealousy, backbiting, slander, uh, 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 massacre, death even takes place. And what's so amazing is that this verse was revealed as some scholars say, uh, in regards to the two factioning tribes in Al-Madinah when the Prophet arrived to Al-Madinah, Al-Aws and Al-Khazraj, that these two tribes, as Tahir Nashur mentions, they had issues with each other 120 years before the Hijrah, the, the migration of the Prophet from Mecca to Al-Madinah. So Allah is setting a standard. He said, all of you hold firmly to the rope of Allah together and do not separate. What is a way that we can do this? Yourself, what is something you can think about? What are some memories that will be productive for your development individually and collectively? Remember the blessings of Allah upon you. Allah says, remember the blessings of Allah upon you when you were once enemies. And Allah brought your hearts together. Allah brought your hearts together. So the first ni'mah, remember the blessings of Allah upon you when you were once enemies. And then Allah brought your hearts together. And you became brothers. So you, when you remember those times that you had an issue with someone and you think of how Allah brought us together, you say, whether it's my culture, whether it's my tribe, whether it's my locality, what transcends all of that and what takes precedence over all of that is the brotherly bond, the bond of Tawheed, the bond of the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's very important because you're going to have issues with a fellow brother and sister. You know, you're, you're going to have issues. You know, you know, you may work together in a capacity, but you realize personalities, you clash. But do not let that overpower the reality of their right upon you as a human being and their right upon you as someone that embraced the faith of Islam. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he mentions that you all were once enemies, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he mentions after that, he says, you were about to fall in the pit of fire and he saved you from it. You were about to fall in the pit of fire in your way of thinking, in your, in your bias towards a certain nationality or a certain culture or a certain way of thinking. You were biased and you belittled those people. Therefore, it caused enmity amongst one another. Do not let that happen because you will be on the brinks of, of the hellfire when you belittle people. And that can lead to rude statements, rude actions, and things that can separate the community, which totally goes against what was mentioned earlier of having Etisam holding together firmly with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the faith of Islam and the faith of believing in the Creator the one that brought you all into this world and has an ultimate maqsad shari, an ultimate Islamic objective for you to come together all to show your gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is manifested in different ways, but ultimately it's manifested within the sharia, within the channels of water that come to a body of water, further nourishing the soul. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that come together for the greater good and allow our differences to be on, this, on the sideline for the greater good showing gratitude to Allah. I mean, Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Abdullah, for that beautiful reflection. If I would, I would hang on to one thing, 
it would be that the consequences of causing disunity are not just found in this life with the community that then becomes fractured, but you know it could it could lead a person to a seriously uh, uh, you know negative place or station with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. I mean, on the edge of the fire um, on the day of judgment, and so a person should really fear Allah once again with what they what they do to the community, right? You know, causing bringing people together or fracturing the community. Uh, you know, also requires a level of taqwa uh, that a person makes sure that they hold things together. So, Jazakumullah khair. I don't want to take too long. I'll hand it over to uh, Dr. Tasneem before Eid, inshallah. Tafadali. For this jizah, I want to talk about one of um, my favorite ayahs. I should say one of the most powerful ayahs. I don't know necessarily think um, in terms of the the, the context that it comes in, in terms of the surah, everything that surrounds it. And that is in regard to the Battle of Uhud. And there's a few ayats that specifically talk about the incidents of the Battle of Uhud. And I'm going to work a little backwards here because it really helps to put things into context. And near the end of this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet to tell the hypocrites who essentially were second guessing everything and we're questioning everything you know why is this happening why did we risk our lives on the battlefield why couldn't we have stayed home why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decree this for us they had all of these doubts and questions and really challenging what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had ordered and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Kullu kuntum fi buyutikum. say tell them he's telling the prophet tell them like even if you're at home whether or not you're on the battlefield or you are home in your in your in your bed lying comfortably in your bed if death was going to come to you, if death was written to, for you, it was going to come to you, no matter where you were. And I think this is particularly powerful and I, I guess a favorite reminder because it reminds me of the inevitability of death. And that's particularly relevant, especially for us today, that whether or not you know, you've taken all of your precautions, whether or not you, uh, you, you've you've worried yourself or you've, you've remained comfortable, if death is going to come to you, it's going to come to you. And when it came to the, the, the hypocrites, when it came to the disbelievers, this was something that was really, it, they couldn't let go of it. It became crippling. It was, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes in this ayah, they were just so obsessed with, with about themselves, about what was going to happen. Do we not, they were saying, you know, do we not have any, you know, say in these matters? Why is it that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing this? Why do we have to do this? And I think it sounds really familiar with us today that why is the world happening? You know, why is it the way it's going now? Why is it that I have to still put in effort? Why do I have to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala despite the struggles that I'm going through? So a lot of this, the, the same rhetoric that the hypocrites had are things that we often feel today. And what... The difference is, is that in this ayah, you have the hypocrites who are challenging, you know, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has either done, uh, has decreed for themselves and for the community as a whole. And because of that, they had this, this crippling fear. Now, this is particularly in contrast to the believers who come at the beginning of the verse. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he, he brought down upon them an, uh, a, a deep, powerful and secure sleep, eminent and nu'asa. And the, the tafasir, the ex, uh, exegetical literature on this ayah says that the, the companions, these believers, in the midst of the battle, on the battlefield, they were, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them this, this sleep that was so deep that if they were carrying their swords when they fell asleep, they would drop the, their swords on their side because 
it, they were so deep in sleep that they lost sort of sense of where they were and what was going on. And it was because in contrast to the hypocrites, these believers didn't question what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed for them or for the world around them. And that just as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the prophet, tell the hypocrites, that all of the affairs are for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of the affairs are in Allah's control. That the, because the believers firmly held this to be true and understood this, that no matter what they do, no matter how much they worry, how much they worried about themselves like the hypocrites were worrying, nothing was going to change the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had decreed their obligations and had decreed what was going to come out of that. And because of that, they were able to sense the most powerful and deep sleep. And if you, I don't know if, if you've all encountered similar experiences, but almost any time I've checked the, the, the news this past year, one of the very first top articles every single time without fail is rising rates of anxiety, rising rates of insomnia, sleeplessness. People can't sleep anymore from the amount of anxiety they have. And it really puts, I'm reading this ayah and it's putting things into context that subhanAllah, if you really submit to the fact that that all of these affairs are for are in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's control, that you will be able, that will be your, your key, your solution to attaining that deep sleep. And I want to point out, backtracking one more ayah, two more ayat. Remember the context of this verse. This is coming at after the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reprimands the archers at the Battle of Uhud, who had left their position, left their station, despite that, despite the fact that the, the Prophet of God is calling them, come back, come back, don't leave your post. These believers left their post, and in, in, in part of their, as a result of their actions, partly they lost the battle. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reprimanding them in the Quran that, you know, you were chasing this world when you should have been chasing the akhirah. I say this because the context is so important. Because when the ayah comes afterwards about this emanat al-nu'asa, this deep sleep, it's talking about those believers too. It's talking about the believers who made mistakes, and it's talking about the believers who stayed, by, who were always firm. And I think that is also especially important for us because sometimes we think of this like, oh well, I I can't get that type of ease and calm and tranquility because I'm not the best of Muslims. I'm not a companion. I'm not you know a superstar Muslim, and so that I'll never be able to sense that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about those, those, those believers who committed something that really, when you, when you think about the details of the situation, it, you'd be watching from the sidelines horrified. What are you doing? Turn back. How could you blatantly turn against the wishes of the Prophet and the wishes of, the, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yet despite that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَقَدْ عَفَعَنْكُمْ That he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave them because they recognized, they turned back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they, they recognize, along with the believers who stayed firm, in that no matter what happens, everything is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I, I know especially that a lot of times we throw around words like, you know, oh, it's just qadr, it's just our fate, it's our nasib, any, you know, any word or language you want to use to describe that. We, you know, sort of understand this, but it's, it really requires this deep thought, like think about it more profoundly and, more, and, and really be mindful of this more closely. Because if you can attain that mindfulness, if you can really grasp and repeat to yourself and, and uh, recognize in that all of the affairs in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hands, if you can do that, you are going to sleep so well both in this world and inshallah be rewarded in the next. So that is one solution that really is, is an easy fix. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises the believers 
who have been perfect all their lives and the believers like you and I, like all of us who make mistakes day in and day out. And something it, uh, related that I had read recently that I thought fit so well when I was thinking about this is one of the wisdoms of Ibn Atallah. And he says, uh, that no matter how enormous your himam, your, your worries, your anxieties, those things that, believe me, I'm speaking from experience, this past year was not stress-free by any means, that no matter how much that can overcome you and overtake you, it's not going to even be able to pierce the, the, the these fortress walls of your qadr, that these deep, insurmountable walls, it won't even be able to pierce through it, uh, it no matter how much you worry. So knowing that your, your fate is preserved, it's protected by these fortress walls is something that really, again, reminds you of the fact that all of the all of our affairs are in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hands. And especially now that it's Ramadan, it's a reminder that the only thing that we learn from the Prophet them, the only thing that does change our qadr is dua. That uh, rather than wait, you know, spend so hours and nights, sleepless nights, worrying and, and really bogging down our, our minds and the people around us with our anxieties and our stress, tr translating that into making dua in this month is the one thing that will will truly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise is going to change your qadr. So that's an invitation for you and I to be spending every dua we can, this uh, every moment we can to be making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to grant us what we want, to grant what is best for us, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what is better for us, to be able um, through that, um, that qadr through that dua to be able to gain that same deep, powerful, and secure sleep that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted the companions after the battle of Uhud. Zakamullah khair. SubhanAllah, very powerful. Um, I now have something to stop at with Surah Nisa, SubhanAllah, I really think about. Um, so may Allah reward you for that. And, and I think the only thing I would just add on to that is make dua for your ummah. Like, I mean, when you're when you're making dua for yourself and you're making dua for Allah to ease your affairs and you're making Allah, you're making dua to Allah to open up this door for you and for Allah to forgive you, make dua for your ummah. Make dua for your ummah to be united. Make dua for your ummah to be protected. Make dua for your ummah to be forgiven. Make dua for people. Um, you know, I, I think that is uh, part of prophetic concern. You know, when we, we can't take the individualism and also put it in our du'as to where we don't have a share of our du'a for other than ourselves. Um, now, of course, make du'a, period, but like don't don't forget other people in your du'a and don't forget your ummah in your du'a and your concerns come up in your du'as as well. So I think as this surah is really talking about putting the ummah back together, uh, keeping the ummah, you know, directed, focused, oriented, and what, what happens with the ummah is never distant from what happens to us as individuals. So uh we and just the last thing subhanallah the prophet sallallahu mentioning uh the ummah is one body what what overtakes us when we're hurt sleeplessness so the sleeplessness is not over this world the sleeplessness is over what what pains our ummah you know and that's something that that's really profound subhanallah that the ummah is hurting and so we are sleepless not because of something of this world but because of the state of our ummah so I think it's not distant what, what, what Sheikh Abdullah was talking about with the unity of the community and what you were talking about with dua and how you sleep at night. Uh, those things are not distant from each other. Absolutely. Any last comments, Sheikh Abdullah? Uh, 
the whole concept of selflessness is, is is what I was thinking about when she was mentioning uh, these verses and how when one is selfless in, in correspondence to what you were saying with dua, you know, you're thinking about others than yourself. Uh, that goes a long way. And, you know, people people feel that. People realize that and they, they feel it when you you really want them to win, you, when you really, you know, have their best interests uh, in mind and in heart. Uh, I think that's something that is a, a characteristic that we as Muslims in general and in particular and in, in particular and human beings in general need to always think about someone other than ourselves on a daily basis. If you even make it a habit when sitting with your children and having them watch, you know, individuals that may be less fortunate than yourselves and showing them how they can practically help them, you know, whether it's money, expertise or just time and learning. Uh, I think that's something that, that is huge. I think that's something that is very, very huge. Again, with all these you know, organizations that help those that are in need, uh, voluntarily making that effort to reach out, you know, physically and going out uh, and getting involved in those efforts, and particularly in this month of Ramadan, particularly in the last 10 days of the month of Ramadan, uh, is something that does, is, we should not be taken lightly. And one thing I do to help remind me and really cultivate that feeling is every single day I dedicate a special du'a for one person. And as uh, Shahomar had taught us in the Angel series last year, knowing that the angels, no matter what du'a you're making for someone else, they're saying amin to your du'a. So it's a win-win situation. Choose, uh, if you want to remind yourself to uh, make du'a for others, set, set a, you know, a goal of every single day, pick one person, and you really start to think about, okay, what would that person really, really want? And it helps you connect with them and also forgive them for anything in the process. And the angels are now saying, I mean, so you can get the same benefits. So on that reminder, inshallah, as you are now adopting the new practice of making draft for one person, please make sure that the three of us have one slot, inshallah, as you do that. Uh, so please include us and include others and make draft for your ummah. And Zakmullah khairan, Sheikh Abdullah, Dr. Tasneem, Asterisk, inshallah, the last tonight webathon, you'll be done. Uh, but very beneficial session, as always. May Allah bless you both. And uh, to everyone else, uh, again, please share the, the stream, inshallah ta'ala. Um, get people caught up with Quran 30 for 30. Read the companion guide. Each summary is about just two pages per juz to help you go along uh, with this, inshallah. Support Yaqeen and support all of the wonderful causes that are out there. Anytime you're seeing these causes come up for the for your ummah that's hurting, whether it's $5, $10, support everything that you see out there that you possibly can. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will surely bless you as you make dua for people and as you uh, give to people. May Allah unite our community. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make taqwa permeate, cause taqwa to permeate our hearts in all of our affairs. Uh, whether it is our individual affairs, our family affairs, our community affairs, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, subhanAllah, the masjidun usisa ala taqwa, just came, a masjid built on taqwa. That's how Allah Azzawajal referred to it, right? So may Allah build our masajid and every structure of our society upon taqwa. Allahumma ameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.